0: Uh, dash Radio Dash Talk Air. day is going well. Day is going good. Uh, today on the show, Jonathan Weaver, currently Global Football Concepts Director at Nike. Previous life, uh, where we connected up uh, the world of snowboarding. He was the Burton uh, team manager, I think, for the uh, European team, maybe. Um, and we can talk about it a bit. He's based in Europe at the moment. Uh, Seen the high world of elite snowboarding transition across into. Uh, Elite sport, obviously with Nike. Um, and then, mo- most latest project is um, the Anti Blueprint Project. I'm um, just going to give a quick read here. Um, the, the narrative we're fed at school around the common blueprint that's laid out for us seems as, as such as an outdated model for the society we see ahead of us. This started as a blog, then became a LinkedIn discussion, which led Jonathan to, lead, to talk to 50 inspiring people who have cultivated themselves in a unique role in the world. Uh, and so we can also talk about that as well. Kind of different ways to succeed, different ways to win, different headspace, which leads to different places. So ladies and gentlemen, introduction to the show, Dash Talks, Dash Radio, Jonathan Weaver. What's up, mate? How How you doing? Well, uh, oh, where to start? Where to start? Maybe, <laughs> maybe we'll start, maybe we'll start here. Yeah. Um, you interviewed 50 people yep. with the goal to try to get a bit of a layer deep behind the scenes of, of thinking, right? And what is the one thing that stuck out to you the most after interviewing 50 unique, inspiring, aspirational weapons of how they see the world that you would not have thought before. Was there one thing that popped up that you were like, huh? I think the thing
1: that just kept coming back to me was just whatever you're doing, just get started. Like that was probably the thing that I just kept hearing from a lot of people. Like you can plan all you want. You can write business plans. You can do X, Y, Z, but until you kind of actually put the wheels in motion, you, you, you have to learn as you go, because as I say, you can you can plan all you want, but there is a certain part where it's like, no matter your pursuit, it's just putting pen to paper, making the first podcast, making the first video. Um, and, and I think that was the thing that stuck out to me, the number of people who were passionate about something and just said, you know what, I don't have the exact plan of what this looks like, but I'm just going to get going and then we're going to figure out the plan on the way.
0: Mm. Do you think that... Kick off to go is a self internal driver that they already have internally to know that they can try, or they know that they will have regret if they don't do something. And because they don't know the north star of where they're going to get to, or they don't know the roadmap, they are like they in their head just feel if I just start, then at least I will get more information, which can help navigate me if I just do that, take that first step. So, so yeah, is that kind of the the thing. So there's a yeah, I think drive, so. Right? Like
1: a, a lot of people are just kind of like. Again, just try not to overthink it because a lot of the people I spoke to full transparency come from an action sports background where there is very entrepreneurial drive and there is just that thing where it's like I don't know how this thing looks I know how I'd love it I I know how I'd love it to look I haven't got a full plan but I just know that I need to get this thing started. Um, mm. and it was funny because talking to people that was essentially the same way I was with the book like as you did as you read out the blurb there I started it just as a blog, which I wrote after my mother passed away, of like things I would tell myself as a teenager because we just had kids. And then put it on LinkedIn, got a ton of people uh, messaging me. And then I just set up Zoom calls with everyone. And I was just like, cool, I'm just gonna listen to everyone. And the only thing I connected each person with was, what would you tell your teenage self? Like used a super simple way in. Um, and then I kind of went from there and. as I say, the thing that kept coming back for a lot of people was just like, just get started on whatever you're doing. Like, don't procrastinate too much because, you know, there's so many examples. Like, I'm sure if you look back at your first show on here or your like anything you did, like, you know, use Joe Rogan as an example, right? Like the other day he reposted his first podcast he did like 12 years ago or something, you know, and the quality you're like, this is terrible. (laughs) This guy's never going to make it. And then, what, 1,500 shows later, he's got a $100 million deal with Spotify.
0: Mm, But, yeah, I translate it a little bit to startup world where um, a lot of times people that work in a corporate environment um, that want to do a startup, it's very much a reactionary on defense of, oh, I'm going to wait for this funding round. Oh, I'm going to wait for so so yeah. to give me a chance. Oh, I'm going to wait to get this raise. Oh, I'm going to wait for blah, blah, blah. And then those hustlers that actually go and create, they're on offense of what is one single small thing I can do today to set me apart from the rest? What is, if everyone else is on defense and going to wait, what is one move I can do? And then if you just keep doing that day and day and day, by day 100, yep. you've got momentum that you've just self-willed and self-created, and now the other person is just waiting for the opportunity. And I've always thought extremely exactly the same way of do not ever have your future dependent on someone to give you the opportunity for something yep. which you could try and create yourself, even if you don't get there, but you create these little – your own little, little snowballs and your momentums, right? Yeah,
1: and, and it's and, funny. And, Sorry. I was just going to say, have, like – having worked at Nike, like there is, that, there is that thing where it's like, well, have all the different bosses signed off on this project you wanna get after. Oh, well, you haven't got number 10, you need to get him on board. And by the time you get to number 10, number one saying the strategy is wrong. And some people play that game really well. And I think I've struggled at times with that. But what I have loved with the book project is like, you can just get started and like, you can convince numbers 1 through 10 on, on the journey, you know, you don't have to have it straight or straight planned out at the beginning
0: and um, I think where they feel that That gap is they need to wait for someone else to give them that opportunity opposed to if yeah. they create It's like well, we're going anyway So you either get on board with my shit or yeah. we're doing it anyway and what yeah. I have definitely noticed in that similar vein is when the other side knows if something's in your head that you are going to go and create and do, the train's already going regardless. And yeah. weirdly enough, you actually have more leverage in those situations than if you need them for it because if you need them, they hold this power of you of like, I will give you the invisible wand of of yeah. acceptance to, to take one step forward, opposed to, why well, don't give a shit? I'm here, I'm going to do it anyway. So either get on board or piss off because this shit's happening. I've, I've, I've definitely noticed the more... I deal with those that are on defense mode. But when I'm on full offense, the more leverage I actually have because then they are yeah. thinking they start it flips. And instead of them feeling that they have the invisible wand of acceptance, they then have the invisible fear of missing out. And then they get they get um physical FOMO for that they know it's gonna happen and that momentum mm-hmm. that builds with it. And it's such a funny thing because weirdly enough, time and time again with all these things, it's decoding the energy of what's actually happening to build your own energy, and all the only difference is, in my head, I'm just saying, "Now nah, stuff it, where and go," and I'm going to do one single. Yeah. What is one single thing I could do right now, regardless who's behind me, opposed yeah. to, "Oh, I need to talk to Steve from accounts to make sure the strategy is yeah, okay to hit the PNL," and, and it's, I mean, it's sport. It's elite sport. It's offense first, defense. And weirdly yeah. enough, when you see, and I'm sure you've seen it. The translation of the action sports mindset to approaching business or their next goals are insanely different to the rest of them because what they're normal yeah. is not normal, right? Is that something that you know what yeah. that you kind of realize as well? And I would say like, and in
1: terms of even the 50 people I spoke to, I had a hard time honestly not just talking to action sports people, like people with a background in surf skate, snow, whatever. Because there is that inherent thing that. Like I could probably name you fifty people now who've done amazing things just from action sports background because you're kind of brought up to have that very entrepreneurial spirit. You understand marketing; it's inbuilt because you know I was a snowboarder. I I always say I was a semi-professional. I think I got one check for a thousand bucks, right? So and it counts. It, accounts, You you in pro? You in pro? <laughs> but the thing is, like free snowboards, like free clothes. You understand the transaction of like okay, uh, this distribution company in the UK are gonna give me this. I then have to show up at a trade show and I have to sing their praises, go for dinner with the dealers and the reps, and it's inbuilt. And across the board, like that that action sports mindset of just understanding the exchange of goodwill, services, et cetera, is just inbuilt. And so um, I definitely saw that. And it, But then it was also interesting then to See that also because when you're from action sports, sometimes you can get a little closed-minded, but then to understand that there are people in the fitness world who also go through those same things and they have that same energy. So that was a that was a real eye opener.
0: Did you you know when you talk about the the anti-blueprint project? Yeah, yeah. The start of that is to go away from what the blueprint is so in your yeah. head what did you feel or what do you feel the blueprint is that most people try to follow to to hit these successes what did yeah. you envision that path supposed to be that the majority of people would look at
1: yeah so um and there was a few factors leading into doing a project like this but one of them was there's a woman i work with she had a 14 year old daughter in a school in portland so i was living in oregon right just up the coast from you you know, she's 14 years old. And I think she was paying $38,000 a year for her daughter's education, right? And so I'm like, okay, she's 14. So next year, it's probably the same the year after. Then maybe she switches high school or something for the last couple of years. Then she goes to college. And my guess is then it's what, $100,000 a year. And I just feel like for kids at that age of 14 or 15, to, if you feel that you're not at that $40,000 school, I don't want kids to feel that like they've missed the train. And mm. in in the US I find this a lot that like people are just being like you know I'm sure you've got friends there in San Francisco. Well, Johnny's in this school and he goes to soccer club and he's got a coach. And it's
0: like the alumni effect. Yeah. It's the um Yeah. And,
1: and to go back to and to go back to the football example, like look at any of the best soccer players in the world. Like how many of them came from the slums of Brazil, Mexico, Colombia, like kids who grew up playing on you know, the back streets with a, like a tennis ball. And you compare that to the number of kids who came through an academy system in the US, which is the world's best, biggest soccer participation. Because they come through such a nice academy system, they don't have any grit or tenacity, which those kids on the street of Brazil and Colombia learn. And so when it comes to an academics standpoint, that's where I was kind of going the same way, because I would hate for my kids to be 15 and think like, oh, I've missed the boat because yeah
0: we've even started because you didn't get to yale primary yeah. school or whatever, yeah and
1: and and so again there was another example there was a f- supremely talented guy i work with at nike called geo and he works on uh football now and he would always tell everyone where he went to college and he went to bowling green and i, I don't know too much about the u.s college system but people would always laugh when he said it and i was like why are you laughing this guy's got a degree like it doesn't matter whether or not it's harvard yale bowling
0: It does does if you're American.
1: That's the thing, right? And so I suppose I'm super lucky. I went to, and I'll rewind it in just a second, but I went to the cheapest university they had in the UK at the time. And it wasn't a university. It was an institute where you'd study, and then another, like, Nottingham would give you the degree. And so when I go for jobs in the US, people like, oh, cool, degree. They don't ask anything about the college because they don't know it. And then I'm being judged against people who, are being judged themselves on Yale versus Bowling Green. So I was like, that's not, that's not really cool. Um, and to rewind it back a little bit. So, and I talk about this in the book. When I was 13 in the UK, we used to have this thing called the um, 13 plus. And basically they would, you everyone would go to the same secondary school from the age of 11 to 13, right? You do your first two years, then you do this test. And the good kids would go to a grammar school, right? So the smart kids. And me and my... There was four of us right like super tight and of course we do the test the results come back three of them go and i get stuck at the regular school yeah and dude i remember Admitance coming home test, like right?
0: we had that for high like, school it's a, yeah. i think it was like a admittance test. We Where to do this going to high school everyone exactly. takes it before you go and then it, it finds out what class you're going to get grouped and you're like ah, i'm with the dummies Shit. yeah <laughs>
1: you know, and so like, first of all, you lose your, like, whatever social status you may have as a 13 year old boy, which is pretty much none anyway, but you may, (laughs) you may lose your like friend group. And then you're like, oh, cool. So now I'm just in this second rate education system. Okay, cool. How How's that going to work? And so, but then when I look back, that never, like, I guess I use that as a motivation to be like, right, it doesn't matter what I've studied or which class i didn't make i ended up working at one of the best companies in the world and i just wanted other kids to know like it doesn't matter like even if you're not getting through college even if you don't finish high school like plenty of people i spoke to didn't finish either of them
0: well it's a it's an invisible stamp of worthiness right yeah um and when it's built in then like i I clearly remember when kind of to high school there was this smart class dumb class yeah (laughs) And it was like, yeah. it's pretty simple. It was like, oh, Smarties, got over six stuff. you guys, you the the Brainy boxes they'd call them, you're the are yeah. the Brainy Box group. And then we'd just be like, oh, yeah, mean, not just doing our own sort of shit. But you're exactly right. But the thing that I have noticed with the American pull of it, and I don't know if it is the alumni effect or what it is, but I remember talking to my auntie over here, and she's a CEO of a big um, uh, insurance company. There's like 50,000 people. Mm-hmm. You know, she's, she's gnarly. Yeah, like Nike, yeah. And she was just saying, you know, it, it's so massive that the hierarchy is just absolutely insane, that there yeah. are literally thousands of people that look exactly like everyone else. So that alumni effect of, oh, you're one of us. Oh, okay, yeah. cool. You, you can come play, opposed to the millions that aren't. And yeah. weirdly enough, the thing that I've I've noticed differently about in, in New Zealand anyway, was um, when, and maybe it is over here too, the top, top, top. Leaders or business decision makers or or kind of titans of industry, their EQ is so amazing that they can look at anyone and they don't actually see IQ or where you went to school or what you actually did or what you look mm-hmm. like, dress like, talk like, act like. They can just see you as an individual. Do I like you? Do I trust you? Do you execute? Do you have the headspace and the intellect okay. to actually get us where we need to go? And yeah. what I've, what I've from what I've seen anyway, that feels like the middle is so stuffed on hierarchy of this invisible. Yep stamp of what they think it should be to you be good enough to come play in the core group. But the actual weapons, they don't give a shit. And it's so weird because it feels like the 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 twos and threes I call them in the middle, they're playing the wrong game because the and then so many of the fours at the bottom of the pyramid they're trying to get up. Like, oh that's the path I need. Oh I have to. Flips directly into the the next point, which is then those types of leaders that want that hierarchy in position, they don't make the best decisions that are in the best interest of their business they make the best decisions which will give them the least amount of risk not to jeopardize their LinkedIn profile title going one yeah. step up on their direction mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it has happened time and time and, and it's funny how from a kid with yeah. you know three of your mates going to the smart class or whatever it is and then you you know yeah. you get help with with like my crew or whatever it was fast forwards 20 30 years and it's the same game right yeah. and and I, I think you've you've scratched something that's a lot wider than people sort of think for you to oh, yeah. feel like you were kind of uncovering a bunch more than wasn't just about action sports athletes but actually potentially how society judges this invisible stamp of worthiness
1: uh, yeah a little bit i mean and there's a few elements to that so i had a couple of pe- people reach out like so one person was um the, the dingo um oh yeah, you know, <laughs> yeah. right so he's actually working on this platform called find your grind, which is like a alternative education platform, which is amazing the work he's doing. And yeah, he was kind of like, this is what we're seeing with find your grind, that there is gradually there is a shift where, you know, even larger companies like Google and stuff. Now they're able to, they're just, they're hiring people and then training them for exactly what they need them for. Because they don't really give a shit if you went to Harvard or Yale or whatever else, they want somebody who knows how to operate what, google one so there's a bit of so there was definitely that and then i also had a couple of people I had one guy in the uk reach out to me who's um, written a couple of books and he was like he was saying this same thing of like yeah it does feel like there is a a wider conversation to be had here but obviously the thing is education institutions are i mean they're built on this system that you need a certain number of people to go through them every year and so it's in the interests of every level of education to keep ensuring that kids growing up know that they need to follow this blueprint of go to the right school, go to the right university. I mean, now everyone seems to have to do a masters or like, and then you have to go and work at the right college, uh, at the right company. And there is just this incessant kind of wheel, you know, and even, and I suppose to go all the way full circle from 13 years old upwards, like, you know, there was a girl I was working with phenomenally smart, and she started working with me a couple of years ago, you know, and she had like, I don't know, $150,000 of um, student debt and she was making okay money. I mean, but I was like, these two things don't match up. Like you're $150,000 in debt and you earn this much money. Like, and so when I talk about that blueprint thing, I'm just like, this can't be the system that's built for kids. That like, you come out the back end of this thing you maybe have some. You have a couple of pieces of paper that say that you can do X and Y, but you have this much debt attached to you. Like, but it's built on
0: brand, right? That's the whole thing. It's the it's the brand it of. And and now with so much education being democratized online and everything mm-hmm. else, you can always tell what the game is by what products and services those at the top start pushing. And what mm-hmm. I've but, found extremely interesting, especially in this last couple of years, is ah. Oh, we're doing a, a quick pop up course at Harvard or Stanford or yeah. this or that brand. We're going to do an online course yeah. with the brand. Then you get your online brand. Um, yeah. And I, I remember a friend of mine went to one of these uh, Harvard sort of, don't get me wrong, amazing intellectual, yeah. crazy, great,
1: great. Oh, great. I did one recently. I
0: did one recently <laughs> with Harvard. 30G or some shit for three yeah, weeks. I didn't do like, that one, but. <laughs> like some crazy yeah. pop up, gnarly shit. And I'm just sort of sitting like, well you're now just paying 50 K New Zealand to just have the flex to put a little Harvard badge on your little travel backpack in the, in the Cori lounge in New Zealand. So you'd be like, Oh, yo, you must be smart. So it's still, it's still educational flexing, right? There's still these flex. Yeah.
1: And there was one, there was one guy I spoke to actually called Oriel Davis Lyons. So he's the creative director at Spotify um, in New York. Super good guy. And basically the reason I noticed him was on LinkedIn He had this one post, I'll send it to you, but it was it was along the lines of um, and he studied in New Zealand and he was like, I went to um, I went to a night school. You got a brief once a week or once every two weeks, you got a brief. You had one class once every two weeks and you had to just work on your own 12 weeks. And at the end, you put your creative book together. And then at the end of it, you go to there was a room above a pub. Someone put some money behind the bar and then all the creative directors from the local agency came in and then they would hire people based on that that's cool and he was like that was my education and you know he was kind of reaching out on linkedin to people was just like if you're if the barrier for you is the forty thousand dollar price tag like reach out to me we'll get to work on like on building out your book um and it was cool so he actually wrote that in i believe it was june and it was in the in the in the shadow of black lives matter and all the other unfortunate events that happened before that and so he did this post, got a ton of engagement, and then someone actually reached out to him uh, from the One School and he set up the One School New York and it's essentially a creative education platform um, for young black creatives. And so he built that um, and you know now he has people enrolled and he's helping people work through it there. And I think that's the, that's the area that I get super interested, You know, the fact that there are people like that who's just like, it doesn't have to be that way.
0: You know, well, if you rewind back the the optics of what winning was, winning is starting mm-hmm. to look a lot different now. If if you think about um, entrepreneurship, for example, you know, when I was you know 11 years old, trying to you know swap out two gig to four gig hard drives, and I was trying to you yeah, know just I get my, whatever I was up to, um, it, entrepreneurship was seen as like what? Like, yeah, you're not going to college, or you're dumb. Oh, you're not going to university? Yeah. Oh, you must be, you must be an idiot, or whatever it was. Yeah. The, 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 the rise of Silicon Valley, Mark Zuckerberg wearing a hoodie, you know, Elon yeah. Musk, Richard Brant's blah blah. It's definitely flipped where now everyone wants to be an entrepreneur, everyone wants to wear a hoodie, everyone thinks they can yeah. got the next. I mean, a couple, you know, shit, was it like 10 years ago or maybe a bit before was everyone's got the idea for the next billion dollar app, blah 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 blah. Yeah. The tide has turned on what the top winning looks like, but it feels still that these outliers that have created their things they haven't got a blueprint because they've just done their own thing. But when more and more more people start doing more and more of their own thing, that almost starts to become not a blueprint of what to do, but a mindset of what they have. And I think there's a difference between here's the map of how to do it, which is the blueprint, which is saying, you know, you go to school, you get the stamp, you do this, you have this, Mm -hmm. this is your path. But then the winners at the moment, it feels anywhere in modern industry, all sit at the top but they've had their own yeah. path there because there isn't a path, but they all have a mindset. Yeah. And I think there's a fundamentally something interesting around what people see as this is my map that I have to go to get to that point versus yeah. this is my mindset. I need to get to that point. It, does it make sense? Yeah. It, it, it
1: does a hundred percent. And I think that's such a good point around having that, that clarity of where you want to go. Um, but it's, I suppose the other interesting thing that I tried to do in the project as well was also find people who, cause as an inspirational as a Mark Zuckerberg, Elon Musk, maybe I also kind of wanted to do it for kids who were just like, you know what? I just want to be happy. Like there's a guy up in Oregon, foster hunting, right. You know, and he, and there's another one called Colin Mooney and they've both built tree houses and they're basically building these tree houses um, up there with the goal of renting them out on Airbnb and just, you know, you can't get to a point where you have enough revenue to live on, and that's your version of success. Yeah. And 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 that's it's funny. I've been going through this recently as well of just like, what does success actually look like? Um, I actually held like a couple of goals workshops the other day, just to challenge people. Like, right, what does success look to you in five look like to you in five years? And it's funny how hard people have a time in telling you what that looks like.
0: Um, also depending on the feel, age where they're at because the energy for sure, shift yeah. with your perspective I'm sure you know I've got two daughters under three you've got you know mm-hmm. um, you've got Fano now the it's the tension of it feels anyway for me you know you're in your teens you're like stuff the word I'm going to go get it you start in your 20s yeah. I'm going to take over everything and then you you know get married wifeies kids you're like wait a second nothing else matters except yeah. this and then you start thinking about their yeah. future you start thinking and then you're like well is it is it selfless or selfish? H- whose turn is it? And you know, I feel as with as a That's father a of two young daughters now, it's not selfish. Now it's been selfless to them. It's like it's about them stuff. Yeah. You, it's them. But exactly your point with what happiness is. I've got a good friend of mine, um, Mad Dog from from Wanaka. He actually used to be this uh, the groomer at Snow Park, who do all the stuff the burn opens. You know, he has <laughs> built his built his pad. He's got his uh, wood workshop, mm-hmm. and his whole gig is: yep. I'm just gonna sit here. I've got my my um, uh, my handmade uh, concrete oven that makes pizzas, yeah. and I've got my little um, bonfire around it. And if I, I might just s- smoke weed, make epic yeah. artwork. And just live the flippin' and dream in and Wanaka, and I am good. Yeah. And there's something it's, so amazing about that because it's so clearly defined at, with what that what with what he needs for his happiness, opposed to mm-hmm. you know you chuck him in the city and he'll just absolutely lose his shit. But I yeah. think that brings that interesting point of is it the yeah. map of what everyone needs to go to is it the headspace of the mindset you need to go for it. But then, most importantly, to your point around goals, is well, what are you going for? What is the goal? Yeah, and why?
1: Yeah. And it's, it's funny you say that. So I'm actually in, in my friend's spare room here with next door neighbors, but he works in the winter. He works shaping the snowboard park in one of the local resorts. And in the summer he works um, as a greenskeeper on the local golf course. He loves snowboarding and he loves playing golf. Correct. That and then is correct. In the times in between, he loves running marathons, drinking beer and just playing music. And it's funny. Cause I always, I always tell him this. I'm like, it, that what he has, like a clarity of like this is what makes me happy, is beautiful because there are, there are so few people who can ever find that where they're like, this is this is the thing I want to do. Um, and as I say, I've been going through this a little bit recently as well of like, because we like we set a goal, man. The last five years we set a goal of like, we want to live by the beach, and uh, with everything that went on over the last couple of years. So we came to Portugal last year and we ended up buying a house in Portugal. Like we saw one online, we missed it. And then this, the realtor calls us. she's like, I've seen a house. And this was in December before the pandemic. And uh, I show, and as soon as I see this link, I'm like, oh, if I show my wife this link, we're done. I show it to her and she starts crying. She's like, that's my dream house. We got to buy it. And so I'm like, all right, I guess we are so we start the thing. We're like, can we get some money? Can we do this? Can we get the loan? And next thing you know, like in February, we bought a house just off the internet in Portugal by the beach. <laughs>
0: <You've> seen <it. laughs>
1: Never seen it. No, just, <laughs> just some pictures. But so then the funny thing with it, we were then, you know, like the people living there, they stayed. And then the pandemic happened. They stayed through June, Oregon, Portland was kind of shit in the bed. We were like, right, we got to leave. So we jumped on a plane, like literally called Delta on a Saturday, jumped on a plane on the Monday, flew to Portugal. And then when we got there like a couple of days in, I was like, this is so weird because this is the goal I've had in my mind for 10 years. And I suppose in your mind, you're always like, oh yeah, when I hit that goal, there's going to be champagne.
0: And I was like,
1: yeah. And I was just like, oh, so is this, this is it, I guess. I was like, this is a goal that I've achieved. And it's an amazing feeling, but it's also then, first of all, you have to like reshift your goals a bit of like, right, where are you going to go from here? But then you also have to, and I'm terrible at this, but you have to just be like, okay, cool. Enjoy it. Like have a little bottle of champagne, but like, yeah. not to congratulate yourself. Cause I to think that I, w- I don't do a very good job of that, but I was always just like, yeah, okay, get comfortable with it and then set the next goal and off you go.
0: Yeah. Um, I've had a couple of probably you know th- maybe three big wins in my life where I've been like yeah, yeah I still to this day haven't had a a friends family celebratory party for oh, it I didn't have go out I didn't have it I my brain was already on to the next and when you're just yeah. when you're thinking about you know it, it, the, I remember I was twenty maybe twenty seven or, or whatever it was and I started this one of New Zealand's first co-working uh, workspaces yeah eventually grew to 10 different locations, blah, blah. And I had the top floor of um, the 19th floor, looking over the whole city, corner office, had the whole floor, and I was 27. And I remember thinking, <laughs> this is the top, right? So I've got corner office, yeah. top of the whole thing, looking over the entire city, sunset. Huh. Well, now yeah. what? But, but for me, that <laughs> was never even a goal. But to your point, when you're sitting there, I, I just wrote down, you know, when you think, you're like, this is it, with the exclamation mark. Like, this is yeah. it. And you stop me like, this is it? Question mark. Yeah. And it changes yeah, from was. The exclamation point to the question mark, and yeah. then and then you go the next one. It was like, is this it? And then you're like, yeah. oh, discovery again, you know?
1: Yeah, and it's it's nice to do that as well because I guess I'd I'd had that goal the last five to ten years, and it was get and I was I suppose in my mind I was like, man, is this just a thing that's going to be there and I don't know if I'll ever achieve it. The nice thing is though to achieve it then as you say it then sends you back into yourself like right where are we going the next five years and again once you have kids you definitely shift your mindset a little bit of like okay right what do they need what's the best experiences i can bring to them um and how does life have to be constructed for us to do that
0: and it's your duty to now yeah, too. it's like that's on you, and your decisions with where you're where you logistically located, who's around you, who's in their circle, what they see, look, yeah. listen, learn, the whole thing. You, you know, you craft that world which shapes them for that next generation, too. Yeah, um, yeah it's inter- it, it, I do feel that you've hit something on the head which is greater than the blueprint because the anti blueprint isn't necessarily a blueprint, right?
1: Yeah, it's to no, be a bigger
0: it's- question of. Well, the blueprint means that you've got a path of where to go, but if you don't know where you're going to start with, the blueprint doesn't matter or is redundant. So you wonder if phase two is, you know, not start with why, but, you know, down that path of if the blueprint says you where you're going, how do you find Mm -hmm. that contentment which gives you that that happiness? Like, you know, your buddy there that's living the dream between snow and uh, golfing or whatever. huh? of you've you've cracked something in there mate it's you yeah it's
1: an interesting one and and so i started like so in the book as well as 50 people i also wrote 12 chapters right and so there's again it's the idea i wrote it for teenagers um and so in there there's one chapter about choosing life choosing happiness over money um cuz a bunch of people kept saying it um then you know there's one about setting goals cuz that's something that most people spoke about and then I even wrote one chapter just like, here's all the shit you probably were never told about money at school. And it's like, this is how interest rates work. This is how um, dividends work. This is how all these other things, like kind of basic, but I was just like, again, like when you're at school, no one, like you're always, you get some financial education, not much. You don't get much in terms of goal setting you certainly don't get much about like, okay, what is important to you? You're just like fed, like these are the things you need to know. So it's, uh, yeah, as you said, there's no, no, um, there isn't. Cause I mean, yeah, you know, you look at some of the super smart people who come out of university. I mean, I work with people and I think money is always the interesting one. You know, they're out buying million dollar houses and they can't even tell you what interest rate they got the house on. And I'm always just like, well, but yeah. they're balling out, dog. They're balling out. As long yeah, I mean as long as the gravy train keeps going, you know it. But like the minute well, the gravy train stops,
0: yeah, I've I know a couple of people who are really really smart with money stuff and the way they th- talk about money, it's used as such a an asset. Like it's yeah. it's it's a weapon. They use it as a weapon like, okay. Mm-hmm. So my game plan is this, my strategy is that, but eventually at the end of the day, um, I'm gonna construct this strategy to take all that money to do this those things and they start working in mm-hmm. I guess their approach around it is um, yeah, You got to be able to speak the language was talking to someone about that the most important thing yeah, You need to be able to speak the language of money um, To understand yeah. and it's something that I'm not uh, Great at. I can understand the ideas and concepts this and that but you start talking about percentage points quarters mm-hmm. Earnings all this shit. I'm like dude yeah. You, lost, you lost me. But that's probably the point of it, to be able to speak it. I, I yeah. want to then maybe j- jump on just that quick transition piece. Yeah. Before you tr- went with Nike, you're in the world of yeah. snowboarding. You're in the yeah. world of snowboarding dealing with young, elite athletes. Young, elite, yes. elite athletes who are focused on – and at that level, they are singularly Purely focused on one thing for their own selves, the, the betterment of themselves. So you've got, you know, yeah. you know, you're talking about before. I think you had maybe thirty people underneath you or that you were looking yeah. after. It. What was the biggest thing that you saw that every one of these elite athletes were stuffing up with in terms of not their on snow performance, but maybe either with their their background logistics or money finances, friends, party, drugs, booze, whatever it may be. What was the overwhelming thing you could see from afar and, but they couldn't see it yet because they were so caught in it.
1: Yeah. And I would say this isn't blanket for everyone. Like there were some super good kids, but just in general, like the money side of things, just, you know, you had, we had athletes who with our, at Nike, you know, with the money that we had that we were paying athletes at Nike, plus other sponsors as well, up to half a million a year, you know, and if you get paid that for, say, three or four years, you know, knowing what I know now, you would like to think, OK, I construct I can construct a future for myself where I've got a solid base, at least. And the number of them who I think came out of that without that solid base or without, you know, and there's a couple of examples we could talk about where you're just like, how did this happen? Um mm-hmm. But then on the converse i also saw i also saw a lot of examples one real good friend of mine he's let's call it he's like tier b in terms of professional snowboarders
0: we'll call call him uh, John.
1: john yeah let's call him john so john probably earns about 60 grand a year but he's like you know what that gives me the ability that i don't need to work a job and it also means that i can every few years i can save up and i can buy an old home that i can work on in the summer i can flip and i can sell for some money and he's going to retire at the age of 40 i guess and he'll probably never have to work again because he's done this four or five times and i look at that and i'm like man that is so smart and he's probably gone it, it probably takes him 10 years to earn what one of these other kids may have earned in one year and so i think the yeah how how to set yourself up financially and i would lay to be honest i'd lay some of the blame at some of the agents who work in the sport because you know if you've got an if you've got an, a person who's earning half a million a year and you're not having a conversation with them about have you bought a house have you paid your taxes have you like are you saving stuff then i kind of feel like it's a bit of a dereliction of duty and you know there's plenty of examples of athletes who are earning crazy money who
0: within one or two years were bankrupt um yeah. and i that, know the early 2000s was out of control the money that was floating around the yeah. early um yeah the, the unink crew all of the the big money with the new brands with the flow guys coming in yeah. when monster and rebel came in the mix when nike yeah. first came on the scene mm-hmm. oakley was making big pushes there was a insane gold rush of cash from maybe yeah you know, 2000 and Three to 2008 felt like it was pretty flipping gnarly. (laughs) Yeah. I mean,
1: you you know, and I I would say, if you look now within snowboarding, I'd say you've probably got 10 people who are let's call it full-time pros and they're earning good money, right? Maybe 10 people. And if you go back to that period, you know, we got out of snowboarding at 2014. So I kind of say that that was the end of a golden era. So all the, like the decade before it, say mm. two thousand three onwards, there was probably I don't know, a hundred? Over a hundred, maybe more. Yeah. I mean shit, we had thirty five on our team, so there must have been more than that. <laughs> it's yeah, but the, it,
0: it always felt hundred. like it was a it was a it was an arms race for brands um, because there was so much money coming into it as well. Yeah. And it felt that everyone was just jumping in the mix and going crazy on their own their own team, the power teams, you know, and yeah. I think I think true life and forum probably had a lot to do with the stamp of yeah. what a brand meant around yeah. the team, because all of a sudden there was a direct correlation with the team and the video being the dopest, which meant their yeah. product must be the best, which meant that it, that was just the shit. And so then you had the sort of intersection of as well. It felt anyway, then the production companies that were controlling the media getting mm-hmm. tied up with brands of, Oh no, now, you can't yeah. film with us, but you can because your sponsor paid the 30K to film and then yeah. you can't. And so weirdly enough, it kind of felt like it started sort of manifesting toxicity within its its own ranks because of the business model of how the the, the media was getting created, right? It felt, yeah. I, I remember so many conversations of, oh, he can't come on this trip because he's not on Billabong. Oh, he yeah. can't be in that, he can't get us there because Burton is sponsoring this film, not that. What, yeah. what responsibility, agents financially, yes, but jumping into the snow side of thing, what responsibility do you think the brands and the media actually had um, that did good or bad for the sport? Because I think they're a bit of blame on both, right?
1: Yeah, so I think on the brand side, there was, as you say, I think an arms race is quite an interesting way of terming it because you had, you know, the two sides, right? One, the editorial content-based athletes who were – And it was like, we need the most stacked team. And we did it at Nike, right? We had Nike, we had slash Nike Snowboarding and that was Nicholas, Giggy, Jed, all the dudes, right? But then on the other side, we had the guys like when the Olympics came out, all of a sudden everyone was like betting that like the Olympics was gonna be this golden goose that would transform everyone's fortunes. And so it was like, we need these people. And then the other, and on that side, the thing is a lot of the people who were then controlling the money with the brands are people who know traditional sports marketing, models so they're not from a snowboarding background so they're just like who's the best and you're like okay it's the equivalent of tiger woods well we need him now and it's i had plenty of those conversations where it's like okay i don't care what it takes we have to sign this person and you full well know that maybe that athlete doesn't have the doesn't have the pull in the yeah, yeah they don't really have the pull in the core they are winning some competitions, but if they don't have the personality, they're not going to sell any product. But the person who's making that call, basically their boss, that's what they see as success. You know, they're looking at numbers on a spreadsheet and they're seeing, okay, well in basketball, we have 82% share of presence in the NBA finals. Like we need in the Olympic finals in snowboarding, we need the same thing. It, and when you apply that model, you can end up you just- You
0: not any guesses.
1: That's the thing. You end up with pipe jocks, not Danny Casses, and then you get into this just like and you see it now. Like, unfortunately, I feel like we're at the back end of a bad experiment in snowboarding where now you've got all these kids learning to snowboard on bags and doing all these crazy flips. You have apart from Mark McMorris, you have like basically a whole Canadian team of dudes who can do every flip and spin and quad there is. And I don't know even if any of them have got any sponsors, which is you know, and I think about this as a parent, like the stuff they have to do is crazy, yeah. but we've kind of bred this model of the two sides where you're asking kids to win every competition. The only way of doing it is just to train like a jock, unfortunately. yeah. Um, but it's not selling product, so it's not helping brands.
0: And then you, you, you go t- to this point now, um, for a quick second, as you go um, now a influencer that understands clout on uh, Instagram against uh, you know mm-hmm. a, a Jake Paul or whatever to, to Conor McGregor can sell a million pay-per-views because they sell it even though the best bosses in the world that are ranked 10th through 100 probably don't make anything. Yeah. Back mm-hmm. to the snow point, I remember clearly in I mean, 2004 or 5, maybe it was f- 5, um, at Snowpark, the Chinese team came over and I remember oh, yeah. they hired out the apartments or some shit and then and I was like, what's going on here? And they were out at 7.30 in the morning going for a run around the car park with their coaches mm. doing stretches. And we roll up. And I'm like, what is this shit? They're like, oh, they've taken ex-pro gymnasts that are washed up yeah. at 13 or 14. They're going to turn them into snowboarders. I'm like, what? And they're stretching. Yeah. What? And then in 2007, yeah. I remember I, we went down to the gym and then – and then Kier Dillon was in there with uh, Daniel Frank or whatever, and they were doing just full like gym gnarly workout, like going yeah. hard. And I was like, "What is happening?" And then there was this whole pipe jock thing came through. Yeah, and then yeah. it was this whole, um, the coaches, and then all of a sudden the, the the energy started changing. Then I remember seeing you know like little Kiwi kids with their parents driving them up at seven o'clock for yeah for breakfast up on the hill, and then first thing I'm like wait a second, oh, this is becoming, I think then that yeah. split became between, oh, I do comps for my future, or I do, basically, I'm, I'm going to shoot and create media, or I'm going to go mm-hmm. this other way. It felt that, um, premier maybe exactly your point, Jonathan, is the, the people on the other side that want that result set the entire blueprint for potentially the wrong thing, because now you fast yes. forward 10 years, you've got these kids who can do a back triple flip and 16, whatever it is, and yeah. they have a blank snowboard, and they maybe get it for wholesale and almost die every single day.
1: <laughs> yeah, and it's, it's funny that as well because, it, you know, you mentioned the word of influence there. And, like, I know – so at Burton in Europe, they've got uh, Marco Grilich from Slovenia, right? Epic. He won Epic Goat, right? He won uh, Aaron Style 2010, I believe, right? And so he's still a phenomenal snowboarder. But he's now a dad with two kids, and he's one of the most valuable assets they have because he is literally inspiring purchase decisions by parents.
0: And yeah, because the kid of him, like him with the grom, just like shredding, just pumped. Yeah, like, and shit,
1: dude, I, dude. And I watch it, and I'm like, oh shit, he's got the R two D two helmet for his kid. And I'm like, where do you get it? Da, da da. And it's it's so funny because even on the core side of things, right? Like we had it on Nike. It was like we need the corest of the the Jed Anderson, right? Whoever. And, you know, because it is a race of like, you need, you need the most equity you can get. You need the chorus, but then you're like, how many purchasing decisions are they influencing? And actually, yeah, that's the interesting thing. And you need a balance across the board, but the ability to have people who can actually really inspire people to go into a shop and go like, Oh, I saw this. That's what I I want. And I think, yeah and it was funny because i listened to a podcast with sage the other day and he was talking about our time working together at nike and i would always hammer that into him i was just like and it it goes back to what you were talking about earlier right like the top versus the middle versus the bottom and in action sports i think everywhere like the dudes at the top they are there for a reason and i would put sage at the top now and i when I started working at Forum, it was JP Walker. I remember the first event I ever went to, JP Walker at the time, like just coming off video part after video part, walks into the room, like shakes everyone by the hand, knows people's names, respectful, having conversations. And it's the same now with Sage, like the most inspiring dude you can meet. And those are the guys at the top. And the issue has always been like, the people in the middle who are like, oh, I think I've made it. Yeah, and they're like, oh, well, I get free boards from so-and-so, so I don't need to talk to you. And that was just always my my takeaway from, like, getting to work with those athletes. Like, they are on another level athletically, but they also understand what yep,
0: their job the is. the community and the game. Because to your exact point, I'd stop competing. I I, started, I got into the media thing, you know, 0, 06 or so, set up the website and all the stuff mm-hmm. I did in New Zealand. And I remember in 07, I um, had stopped competing professionally and uh, Burden was the first brand to um, to back the website. Guy Alte at the time and Ruben who was doing the um, the Burden mm-hmm. open and stuff. And I said, hey, I'm going to do this online thing. It's going to be this media, blah, blah, They're like, I right, cool, yeah, 100%. We need that. Um, They're first yeah. to back it. So I always had to back yeah. it for that first year. And then the next year, um, after I uh, stopped riding, I was on Adidas International, Solomon and West Beach. Those were kind of my, my three. Oh. I switched to, I switched to uh, Burden because I had this idea. I wanted to support um, how do we create like a team of young bucks to like yeah. get good sort of older mentors around them. And and so we came up with this like burden rookie team type scenario. Right. And we got a bunch of young bucks. And I helped, um, you know, like coach them and do, like big brother type shit. Like, yeah, man, you know, do, do your thing. And, and it was kind of yeah. a cool thing. So gone got burden. The next year, they went to this whole massive service. So then I basically was an ambassador slash media guy or whatever, right? And I was doing my yeah. content stuff. I was presenting. I was doing the scene Burdened did a nationwide uh, survey of all the retailers and community and everything I was like, okay Who's who's the most uh, known athletes that you yeah that you've got and I was number one of all of it I'm And sure. I didn't do 100%. a single competition. I didn't do anything I was like just this dude, right and exactly to your point you're talking about those purchasing decisions of Mark Acrylic. I then that's when I super realized I was wait a second and then weirdly enough I almost got paid more not even yeah. having to throw myself off a cliff Mm-hmm. And it was Adidas who told me. Edidas re-signed me because I was getting all this TV this TV stuff yep. in New Zealand. And he goes, mate, do you not understand how this shit works? I'm like, dude, I'm not even competing. And you guys are paying me more money? Like, what is happening? Yeah. They go, dude, we can't buy that opportunity where your logo is because you're in front of the mm-hmm. flipping TV and you're controlling it. And I said, so yeah. you're going to pay me more money? They're like, 100% yes. <laughs> so
1: yeah. Oh, dude. It's I, a, it is
0: a I know, riot.
1: Well, cause I was doing the same, right? I was in Europe doing MC and I remember I, I might have ridden a European open, but I mean, I sucked in the grand scheme of things. And then I don't hey, know what, but, <laughs> I, but then one year I start like, so I started MC and I did some stuff for Volcom, whoever else. And then I don't know what year it was, 2008. I started, I hosted European open, you know, and I love Burton. So I was like, Oh, whatever you need. Didn't even think of it. And at the end I'm just like, okay, how much is the invoice? You know, I'm like oh it's like a thousand bucks a day and you're like <laughs> <laughs> dude when you earn a thousand bucks in your career to go snowboarding and then someone's like oh yeah cool you know and that's like an eight- day gig you're like oh okay cool I see and it's funny because I think about it now and like I even look at I look at some of the snowboard films now and you look at it and you're just like I don't know how inspirational some of this is because again like I'm parent whatever else like i don't know if watching some kid flip four times off a jump is that inspiring whereas like you look at you look at the people who are doing it right and they're making people want to go snowboarding and even back you know like in 2005 whatever it was you know when like after lame robot food those things came out there was some gnarly tricks in there but it was more just the fact that you would watch that and be Um, like i want to go um, snowboarding and I want to go with those guys, or I want to create my own crew and do a road
0: trip. And it was, um that's the yeah, thing. But, yep. You're, I think you're, you're exactly right. And now even to the point, I was, uh, you know, looking on a sports center, and then it had one of the leading stories was, you know, Tiger Woods and his son get seventh yes, in a competition. And you're just watching it, and you're, and you got pumped. You're like, yeah, it's not about. Yeah. And so maybe to you know to 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 loop it back around to the anti blueprint is the The perception of, yeah, like a quad corks may be cool, but is that the blueprint of what? But what if success is watching your three year old take a shucker turn and get pumped and yeah. do a little ollie bump? And what if your buzz is, you know, uh, you know, watching, say, with Tiger's example, I can almost guarantee you, he may have been more pumped watching oh. Young Buck get an eagle on on five than yeah, his sure. own win winning the Masters. I'm sure he inside was like. Shit, yes, like yes, yes that 100%. is hundred percent. And maybe, uh, you know, maybe the perception of success within uh, within sport and all the rest of it could actually be doing a full circle where it goes away from maybe um, performance to mm-hmm. to to pure pureness of joy, pureness of passion, yeah. pureness of thing. Because I think you're exactly right. If you can co- eventually convert instead of converting the performance into product to sell for profit but you go Mm -hmm. after the purity of it which actually i'm sure the ties i think if you fast forward this out another 10 years maybe if the business model goes the other way you might be surprised of what the bottom line actually looks like when it when it turns into commerce right interesting Mm
1: -hmm. yeah and you see it you know you see it across the board like it's funny there's one brand in in karua um and they've they've made turning their thing right? And so when they first come out, you're like, there's a brand and they're just focused on turning. But you watch their edits and it's all beautifully sharp, black and white. But it's just turning. And you watch it and you're like, oh, I'm I'm ready to go turning tomorrow, right? And you can do that with everyone. Like my friend's daddy comes here for Christmas, he's like 65. We'll watch an edit and then we'll go up and just turn. And I think, yeah, to your point, like, we'll look back in 10 years and I'm sure the whole landscape will look different where it's like, it's it's whatever inspires people to go and take action. Um, You know, and I, that's where sometimes some of the non, like some of the more mainstream sports are great because it's like anyone can see Cristiano Ronaldo take a free kick. You know, you can line up outside, you know, with the, with the trash cans and pretend you're Cristiano Ronaldo with your hands on your hips and take a free kick. It's, it's just what inspires people to move and take action. I think that's the, the main thing, you know,
0: well, as, as humans evolves and change, the trigger points of what lead us to that call to action for action, I think will change mm-hmm. um, yeah. a, with this. It's fucking interesting. All right. Um, so if people want to buy the book, see the book, I guess you can't really get yep. many books right now. But if um, if they would like to see the book or whatever, where can they go to? What can they do? We
1: <laughs> we can ship books. So we actually have a fulfillment center in Germany. If we didn't do it. In England, oh, there you go. The whole Brexit thing. Yeah. Um, so it's, uh, the anti or it's on Instagram at the anti blueprint project. Um, and yeah, just, I'd say anyone who's intrigued by it, get in touch, share your stories. I'm more than happy to chat
0: as well. I do feel that there has to be a follow-up because if the anti blueprint has clearly defined that the map to success is not what it was, then the next one mm-hmm. has to be surely, how do you actually um, navigate the headspace of finding, you know, the, the purity instead of the potentially the performance or the placement or positioning? Right, there's something around the Ps there. Yeah, I,
1: I'm, and I right now I'm going through that process in my head of like, what's what's the next step? Because the easiest thing, like, tons of people said, like, when's the next one? You could find another hundred people do it, um, and I would love to again because of the conversations it enables you to have. Mm. But I think it's the synthesis of what the people are talking about, which is where it becomes interesting. And that's something that I'm probably going to need a few months to work through a little bit and actually, you know, delve a lot deeper into. Because, yeah, um, I think it's it warrants that kind of thought process, you know.
0: And you definitely didn't expect that when you, you know, did a simple blog post and some LinkedIn stuff. (laughs) And now you've got the book, but then all of a sudden you're like, wait a second, it feels like this is some sort of real world thesis. I'm going to need to try and dissect and decode. And it's funny
1: that as well. Yeah, it's funny that because I've had people hit me up who've written books and they're like, oh, you should do this. You should think about this. And I'm like, dude, this was just (laughs) this it started out just as a fun project through the pandemic, and now I'm having to like give it the thought it deserves it's mm. but it's i think the thing that i would just encourage anyone to do is like if there is a you know you said it earlier if there's a scratch that you got a itch, just like get into it spend the time looking at it um because the thing that i found personally is and you've probably found this as well robert it's just when you when you write or you do follow a creative passion or you have conversations with people it just gets you to level up your thinking a little bit mm. and take you out of your day to day and that's that's the thing that i love
0: I put a, um, a mathematical equation there. I put uh, purity times passion is greater than performance times position. Wow.
1: All right. You might have the intro chapter in the next book then.
0: Mate, right, here to help. And Just like that, we're <laughs> done in this. Mate, um, right, appreciate it. I th- think there's something in there. Um, I really appreciate your time, Jonathan. I know you're a very, very busy, time. busy man have fun in the pad in portugal stay out of uh, well, trouble man. with the lockdown and i have a funky feeling that we'll be revisiting some of these topics sooner or rather oh, than later man.
1: anytime it's my an absolute pleasure so fun awesome brother hey appreciate
0: it all i'll right. talk to you soon bro i yeah, am take care Peace. all right jonathan weaver joining us uh dash radio dash talk x appreciate the time everybody uh, very smart man indeed and pretty awesome scratching the surface underneath uh, what is purpose and passion um, for those and the blueprint of what others perceive as the way to go is clearly not necessarily the exact way to go because time and time and time and time again it's proving that um, that is there's always more than one way to win and win wonderfully in the world that we exist in now. Appreciate that team, adios, have a good one and I'll talk